Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached February 12th, 2012 by Gerald Schrock, and it is entitled, The Good Shepherd vs. The Hireling. Participating in the Sunday school lesson, um, so challenging. Paul's writing there, and I appreciate the the uh, study that was put into the the, the uh, lesson. Um, how that it was brought out to us, how you know that that we're we're all level in front of God. In front of God, there's no one higher or lower than another. And as we come to the cross, it's all the same level as well. And Christ hears the penitent one. He hears the one who, who truly is there to, to do the Father's will. I think uh, this morning the, the message title is The Good Shepherd versus the Hireling and the Thief. It's taken from uh, John chapter 10. And I invite you to open your Bibles to that. I'd like to look at John chapter 9 just a bit um, to give a little background. Jesus starts in here in John chapter 10 verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I send you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. The preceding chapter is perhaps one of my favorite accounts of, of someone being healed, of Jesus healing someone. And it's one of my favorites because that this blind man that Jesus healed was also seemingly a very intelligent man. He knew what had happened. He seemed to uh, be a, a, um, a good man. Uh, in fact, this Pharisees asked him, why he was blind, and, uh, you know, has he sinned or his parents sinned? And Jesus said, no, neither one of them has sinned. It's he's blind that the will of the Father could be revealed or that God's power could be revealed. And I, wanna, I don't, want, don't feel like I have time to read this whole passage in, in chapter 9, but I'd like to, to point out a few things. Jesus opened the man's eyes. He put clay on his eyes, washed his eyes, uh, told him to go to the pool of Siloam, and there the man washed his eyes and received his sight. And, and the Pharisees were upset about it. He had this, Jesus had again healed on the Sabbath. And uh, they asked him point blank. They said, uh, they, 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 well, first of all, they asked his parents, you know, what happened? And his parents said, well, talk to him. Because they knew that the Pharisees had made up their minds to throw out anyone out, throw out anyone from the synagogue who confessed that Jesus had healed or, or spoke well of Jesus. So they said, ask, ask, ask our son. He's, he's of age. So they called the man in verse 24 that was blind and said to him, um, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. And, and this man, this blind man answered, who had been blind, answered, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And so this is kind of hard. I mean, it was about as, about as uh, point blank a response as they could get. 
in contra contradiction. And so they said to him again, what did he do to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he told him, he answered them, I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? They didn't appreciate this at all. And they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple. We, we are Moses' disciple. Uh, we, and we know that God spake unto Moses. Then the man answers again in verse 30 and said to them, Herein is a marvelous thing. You know not from whence he is. You don't know where, from where Jesus is. And yet he hath opened my, mine eyes. This man knew that something had happened to him. His eyes had been opened. He knew that something miraculous has taken place. All his life he had been blind. All of a sudden one day he could see thanks to Jesus. And he said, you don't know from where this man is, and yet he's opened my eyes. He's done something that none of you could do. Since the world began, was it, not, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him off. Oh, in verse 31, I really like that too, his response there. We know that God heareth not. This man is talking, this blind man, formerly blind man is talking. We know that God heareth not sinners. I'm sure that he had heard this all his life from the pharisaical hierarchy. We know that God heareth not sinners. So he was bringing that back to them, their own teaching back to them. And uh, says... Um, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Um, I, I love this passage because of, of the way that this man was able to respond from something that had taken place in his heart, in his life, and, and, and teach. But, of course, the uh, teachers had cold hearts and they couldn't hear. And so Jesus talks to the blind man then. And the blind man believed on him. And the Pharisees then say in verse 40, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you are blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We, there, we see. Therefore, your sin remaineth. Reminds me of that simple little saying that, What did the blind man say when he bumped into the tree? He said, I see. Um, and I speak carefully, but or I try to speak carefully, um, there are times that we don't see like we should. But these people here um, were not seeing because they didn't want to see. They had refused to see. And Jesus then talks to them in a very forceful way in chapter 10 here. He talks to them and tells them what they should be and what they aren't being, and explains to them um, a better way. Jesus, the good shepherd, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name. And leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but they will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. 
This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Interesting. All that came before them are, sh- are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. It, comparing that with the text we studied this morning out of Romans, we read about those that do the will of the fathers, those are the fathers. Um, and it seems to be saying here that there are sheep, there is, there are, there is a flock that... God has that hasn't heard or have moved away from the voice of these robbers and thieves, these people that Jesus twice chased out of the temple, um, these people who were more interested in commerce than interested in God. But the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door, like Simeon and Anna, sheep that heard Christ, that heard God. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep. And fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold, and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, Hath he a devil, and is mad? Why hear ye him? He hath a devil, and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And then we know the rest of the story. The Jews tried to arrest Jesus. They tried to take him, but his time wasn't yet. I'd like to focus on this part here. The good shepherd versus the hireling and the thief. The true shepherd, and I'd like to go through looking at the characteristics of the true shepherd. First, he enters through the door. The doorkeeper acknowledges him he doesn't go up over the gate he doesn't go in the back uh, part of the courtyard he doesn't come in anywhere but the front door the doorkeeper knows him and he acknowledges him we're not so used with the idea of a doorkeeper here we we live different lives and maybe in Europe but there um, many of the institutions or many even of the more wealthy households had doorkeepers and if you came up to one of these households and you wanted to get in, uh, the doorkeeper better know you or know about you or else he wouldn't let you in. But, you know, when the owner came, all he had to do was toot his horn and that doorkeeper would, the gate was open probably before he ever got there. You let him in and let him out. 
uh, the doorkeeper acknowledges the true shepherd. He goes out before the sheep. He leads them. He has ownership of the sheep, a rightful ownership. And this is, this is an interesting concept here. Um, he leading them, being amongst them, uh, just as a practical thing. In my business, I prefer working with other people who are owner-operators, people who actually are involved with the work. Um, and that's not always practical or possible. But for the most part, the, the product's better. The closer the owner is to the actual performance of, of work or the job site, generally speaking, the better the product will, will be. And, and Jesus is there. He's leading, it says. He, the doorkeeper acknowledges him. He goes before his sheep. He has ownership. He has oversight. Um, he's right there. The sheep follow him. The sheep can distinguish his voice. He has a consistent voice from the voice of strangers. When they hear the voice of strangers, they know that it's not like their master's voice. It's different. They run from, from the voice of strangers because they can distinguish that difference. Um, they know the master, the true shepherd. The true shepherd is the door. He brings in another um, parallel or... or uh, Example here, the true shepherd is the door. John 14, 6 says, I, Jesus says there, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> the true shepherd is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's an interesting band uh, or business, and I don't know who owns the business, but on their vans... Um, uh, they're obviously electricians, but on their vans they have a big slogan that says "Christ, God's way to heaven." <clears throat> and uh, they have at least a couple of vans, um, but I think it's a good—it's a good testimony. But it's true too: Christ, God's way to heaven. He, Christ is the door; He's God's way to heaven. Ephesians two eighteen says, "For through Him, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father." We all have access by one spirit to the Father through Jesus. He is the door. The true shepherd gives his life. Aside from life, there is only death. He gives his life for the sheep. And there's only death other than life. Uh, no other shepherd can say this. No other shepherd can give life. And then he goes on to say he gives his life for the sheep. He willingly lays down his life for the sheep. And I have to think of, of David, you know, standing between the lion and the bear, putting himself there and, and uh, in harm's way to protect his sheep. Um, we're reading in Loringo Wilders right now on the, on the banks of Plum, uh, of Plum Creek, I think it is. And... Uh, was impressed there at pause uh, when the locusts came in. I don't know if you've read this, any of you have read this story more recently, but or would remember this, but they had raised a wheat crop, and the wheat crop was doing very well, and they were depending on this for their income, and uh, about the time the wheat was getting real nice way, locusts came in. And Paul spent hours, it looked actually days, trying to... to uh, 
you know, chase the locust out by smoking them, by lighting up um, manure type of materials and, and you know, putting these piles out in the fields and trying to smoke them out. And he spent day after day trying to do that. You know, there was a dedication there. He, his family depended on that wheat, his, uh, on that sustenance. And he put himself out to, to, to try to save that crop. And ultimately, he didn't. And so he had to find work elsewhere. But um, there's that, that shepherd instinct that, that impressed me, how that, you know, Paul put himself out. Um, and then you look at David protecting his people from Goliath, that, again, he put himself in the way between his people and the enemy and, and you know, went out against Goliath. Then think of Jesus. He's, he's standing there. He's looking over Jerusalem. He's mourning for Jerusalem, for her lack of repentance, for her lack of understanding the, the Savior. And he says, Joel, Jerusalem, how I long to take you under my protection like a hen would take a, her chicks under her wings. This is the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. He knows his sheep. His sheep know him. He moves comfortably through the flock. There's a camaraderie. Sacrifice has been made for the sheep. There's been an investment, tremendous investment made on his part for the sheep. And the sheep acknowledge him. The shepherd is, true shepherd is loved by his father. It's not doing this on his own, but he has connection to his father. His love toward his sheep is eternal. So eternal, so infinite, that he willingly lays down his life as a sacrificial Lamb of God. The true shepherd is powerful. In fact, he's so powerful that no man can take his life. That's what Jesus said. No man take, can take my life. No man taketh my life, but I give it voluntarily. And I think even today, no man could take his life. I think if the Pharisees in his day there would have had all the firepower of the U.S. military the bombs, the equipment, the, you know, the power to do airstrikes, drones, missiles, whatever. I don't believe, I firmly believe, actually, that they couldn't have taken Jesus' life with their firepower. You know, think of the angels... They're striking the men of Sodom with blindness when they came after them. And then later destroying that whole city with fire. Look at those many signs in the Old Testament of power. Of the parting of the Red Sea. The waters backing up the Jordan River. The walls of Jericho tumbling down. Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee. Jesus walking on water. The miracles of the loaves and fishes. And the miracles of healing, the healing of the blind man here. These are, this is a shepherd with great power, with infinite power, eternal power. Combine that with eternal love, we have a wonderful, good shepherd. His infinite power is so great that he proclaims that he can take up his life again. He says, I'm going to willingly give my life. No man could take it from me. But I'm going to take that life up again. I'm going to bring my life back up again. And he does that. 
That's the good shepherd. Contrast this with the hireling. I'm going to look at him a little bit. The hireling is hired. He's hired. He needs a job. He needs some money. It's not the sheep he cares about. It's the paycheck. When he sees a danger, if that danger amounts to more than what his perceived income would be, he's going to leave the sheep. He's going to run. He weighs that. Rather than stand between the attacker and the sheep to protect them, he moves on. And, and thinking of this a bit, the wolf, it says, when the wolf cometh, he fleeth. I have a, a Romanian friend, Marine, a forester, who was telling me about wolves and how that they attack into, come into a, a flock of sheep and attack. They're, these are fearsome animals. Uh, when they come into the flock, they slash indiscriminately. They don't go to grab one sheep and bring it down and eat it. No, they go in the flock and they just, they're just back and forth all over the flock, just trying to kill as many sheep as they possibly can. You have to remember the wolf can fast for a long time. I've read he can fast, easily fast a month. That, that I don't, that's how a field and stream. I don't know how long he can fast. He can also eat prodigious amounts of food. Uh, according to the same field and stream source, why they, they, they witness a pack of wolves eating the equivalent of 40 pounds of meat each in, in one one hour setting. Um, that's a lot of meat. That's a lot of red meat there. Uh, they had brought down a moose and they'd, they had uh, looked at how much the moose weighed or uh, got, got an approximate weight on the moose and there were 15 wolves and the moose weighed about 900 pounds and in an hour's time they had licked up the whole moose. Um, so that's how they, they did their math. But anyways, a wolf can eat a lot, and then he can go a long time. So he's, he's designed to, to feast or famine. And when he gets ready to feast, he wants to make the feast as large as possible. So you can see why the hireling, when he sees the wolf coming, he gets scared. I mean, this wolf may mistake him for a sheep, and uh, likely will, and really doesn't care if he's not. And so he's going to move on unless he really, really, really has an investment in that the sheep of either emotional investment, a financial investment, some sort of investment. He'll choose the loss of wages over losing his skin. In Christ's words, he doesn't care about the sheep. The hireling flees because he doesn't care about the sheep. In the new world of lending, and I'm sure it's in the old too, it's an old principle, lenders want to see borrowers have skin in their project. They don't want to see a borrower come and, and lend uh, and, and loan most of the money for a project. And then of course the lender ends up possibly holding the bag. Uh, they want to see the, the borrower, borrower have a, a lot of skin in the project so that if it does fail, the, the borrower will be hurt in a significant way. To be hired is not necessarily bad. To have the characteristics of a hireling, now that is bad, as Jesus described it here. Many hirelings, I believe, come into the roles as 
as, as being hired in the, in the uh, maybe in the commercial world, in the job, in our, in our job setting, so forth. And they, they move on from being hired to becoming shepherds, to becoming good employees, to becoming invested employees. And probably most shepherds were hirelings first. I'm talking about in the, in, in the job field. I recall in Romania with the orphanage there how that we had, uh, we had a, a number of hired uh, employees to take care of the, the babies. And I rec- it, was, it was interesting and precious to see how that um, a hired lady would come in and would start caring for the babies. And, and soon that hired lady would turn into a mother. Uh, she would often, it just it inevitably happened that she, a baby would end up with a certain lady and that lady would become a mother. It wasn't designed that way, but there's bonds were created and, and quickly the hired lady was no longer a hired lady but was a mother. Sure, she was drawing wages, but it was, the bond went much, much deeper than that. And so that's what I call the difference between a hireling and a invested shepherdess, employee. It's someone that truly becomes invested into the project, whatever project it is. And in this, it's a, in this setting here, it's such an important project. It's a project of, of shepherding, um, of being shepherd to the flock. Our Lord is totally invested in us. And, you know, what, what our, uh, the, the hireling is, is so much different than that. Jesus referred to the Pharisees. I think he was directly referring to the Pharisees here as hirelings. Many of them were born into their position, or at least born to be promoted into their positions. They were in their positions for whatever gain they could get, for prestige, for wages even, uh, for their influence that they could have. The institution ended up serving the Pharisees instead of serving the people. It, was, it became engineered to uh, be served by the people through devious means, through the way the Pharisees engineered their laws and their rules. Instead of the widow being cared for, she was being robbed. Instead of feeding the flock spiritual food, the flock was being fed the law of the Pharisees and of the scribes, which was tailored to the hierarchy's advantage, the religious hierarchy's advantage. And Jesus was talking about this. He's calling them hirelings here. He's saying, you're in here only for what you can get from it. And he was scolding them for this. This is such so different from the true shepherd. And then you have the thief and the robber. I'm going to look at them a little bit. The thief and the robber, they don't enter the sheepfold by the door. He comes in the back. He comes in underground, over the wall. I had to think of when I was looking at this passage here of, of some of the ways that people have entered into this country, the, the uh, very complicated underground systems, even trolley carts going underground trains, you know, going under the, the river, uh, under the border. And uh, it's been that way for years between countries. Uh, if you look at Israel and, and, the, and the smuggling that goes on between 
uh, Palestine and, and Israel or Syria and, and, uh, and, and some of the other countries, uh, they have very complicated, elaborate underground systems. My time in Belize, I, we, we had a, uh, they, we lived close to a border and, and there was a, just a lot of activity between the Belize and Mexican border. Um, activity, there was no, there were no customs there so people could go through and pass goods without having to pay the, the customs fee. They could go across without having to have a passport. Well, Jesus is talking about something very different here, but it's the same idea. The thief comes in. He doesn't want to be checked. He doesn't want his credentials checked. He doesn't have a valid passport. He doesn't have a visa or identity card. He lives in a shadow. He's always fear, fearful. He's always wary. Uh, he sees something in the fold that he wants, and, and he's there to get it, to exploit it, to maybe even cause unrest. He, he, wants, to, he, he wants to be there and, and not be, and not be uh, seen. He wants to, to receive uh, the benefits without uh, putting forth any sort of investment. He doesn't care anything about the flock. He's the wolf. He wants to shear the sheep, to fleece them. In Luke 19.46, Jesus called these people uh, that, that were like this, he, he, he referred to them as a den of thieves, as working in a den of thieves, and they were working in the temple. He was referring to the Pharisees here because they had turned the temple into a place of unscrupulous commerce. They took advantage of people there. In place of, of purity and holiness, there was jostling there for position. There was jealousy, and the sheep suffered. There was, it was a place of unscrupulous commerce and, and uh, benefiting of themselves. So going back again quickly over these definitions, the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.9 says this, For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means in Christ dwells a whole Godhead bodily. He was on this earth. Only the good shepherd can give eternal life. John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Only the good shepherd can be the, the door in John 10, 9. Christ is the door to the sheepfold. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That's the good shepherd. The hireling is the person that's only involved for the benefits. He has no real skin involved in the work, except for possibly his pride and ego. He can use the income, so therefore he is. You know, I can see him, the modern hireling under the shade tree, absorbed in texting while the sheep graze along the meadow. He doesn't notice the ewe with the sore feet, the lamb that's wandered off into hostile countryside, or the ram trapped in the brush, vulnerable to the prey. Little boy blue, come blow your horn. The sheep's in the meadow, the cow's in the corn. Where is the little boy who looks after the sheep? He's under the haystack, fast asleep. A little bit of nursery rhyme there. 
When the wolves come, the hireling has no idea what is happening. And he's out of there. He doesn't even take the time to dial 911 on his smartphone. He'll post it later on his Facebook site. The most troubling part of the hireling is his lack of love for the sheep. He finds the flock annoying. These sheep are stupid, he may say. He taunts the flock for the lack of rationale. Instead of gently helping the ram out of the brush, he jeers at him and thumps his rear with his staff. Instead of finding the straying lamb and leading him back, he simply ignores or perhaps chases him. You know, this morning I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone. I'll have to confess the Lord has, has spoke to me through this study. But I think it's for all of us, whether we're uh, leaders or whether we're, you know, in any capacity, whatever we are, the hand, the foot, uh, wherever we're at in the body. The thief and the robber, they're not, they're not working for benefits. They're the wolves. They're the sheep and wolves. They're the wolves in sheep's clothing, wolves in sheep's clothing. They're malicious. They're the servants of mammon. They seek to destroy the flock or to lead the flock astray. At their core, their only agenda is what is their own care. They're selfish. They enter the flock for selfish motives. There's one other category that we don't have in here yet, and I want to add this. I think this is the practical, the most practical part of this whole message, and that's the under-shepherds, I'm going to call them. Under shepherds, who are they? We'll read a verse out of Colossians 2.13. Now, something's wrong with that clock back there. We've been there for a while. Okay. Um, Colossians 2.13. These are the under shepherds. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. This is the verse that came to my mind when I thought of the under shepherds. These are all the people, the hireling, the thieves, and the wolves, all that God has made alive, that God has quickened, that God has forgiven, that he's brought up into to newness of, of life. Under shepherds are hirelings, thieves, and robbers. Those that were outside of the fold who have been brought into the fold. Those who had no desire to serve the true shepherd that have now have a desire to serve the true shepherd. Those that were blind but see. Those that acknowledge their blindness and see because they acknowledge their blindness and ask to be healed. These are the under-shepherds. 1 Peter 5.1, the elders who are among you exhort, I am... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partake of the glory that will be revealed. Peter is talking here to, this is a departing letter, and, and he could have easily inserted here, I, who am a, an apostle, I exhort you, but he, he doesn't. He says, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partake of the glory that will be revealed. He tells them, urges them then to do this. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, 
but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So who has the responsibility of being an under-shepherd? Or who has responsibility of shepherding the flock? Like it says here, shepherd the flock of God. It says to you elders. So that's speaking of who? The preachers, right? Well, that's, that's right, but that's not all. Um, I think that's a good start. The elders among you. I, you know, Moses, when he was, uh, I recall this account in the Old Testament where the, the 70 elders were appointed there and the Spirit of God came on them and they started prophesying. And then there were two others that began prophesying as well. And, and Joshua, his, Moses' his young aide, came running to him and he says, uh, uh, you know, my Lord, he says, uh, these other two men are out there prophesying and, and uh, tell them to stop. And Moses tells Joshua, he says, I would to God that not only they prophesied, but the whole congregation prophesied. Well, I think in our New Testament, the way it's set up in the New Testament now, it is that way. The Spirit of God rests on his children. In some way or other, we're all shepherds. We are called to shepherd, to be involved in the lives of each other, to shepherd the flock. Being an elder doesn't necessarily mean age, although age is certainly a, a, uh, a benefit. I was, I was talking with uh, one of my good friends in Romania is not a deacon, Sorin actually, you saw him on the slides <clears throat> the other evening. And he told me, when you get back to the States, and I haven't done this, so now I'm doing it. When you get back to the States, you make sure you tell all your elderly people there that you appreciate them and that you're thankful for them. He said, because we don't have them here and we miss not having older people in our congregation to, to give us guidance so much. And I could really, I could really feel that um, from him, and I feel the same way. It's it's such a blessing having the wisdom of older people. But the elders here, I think, is is speaking about people who are, well, like Timothy, for example. He was an elder, uh, I believe. He was young, but he was an elder. He was leading out, um, and not everyone's going to be. A young, a young bishop or a young <clears throat> pastor, but there is there's so many ways that we can lead out in the flock without being in that leadership position. Preachers face the same time temptations to be hirelings or even worse, robbers and thieves is what the rest of the flock fa- faces. They have a need to of being renewed daily in the spirit of Christ, just like the rest of the flock, and really. Preachers have the need to be shepherded just like the rest of the flock. Theirs is perhaps the unique calling of leadership responsibility, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, put them in an entirely unique position. The call to be under shepherds is, what I'm wanting to say here, I guess, is not unique in the ministry. 
or to the ministry. 1 Corinthians says this, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And he goes on to say, We all have a responsibility in the body. And then at the end of that passage, Paul goes on to say something else. He says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, and that is the love chapter. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels and have not charity. And it goes on down the line. The way of not focusing on our type of shepherding, but rather the way of Christ, having a godly love for the flock. Having a godly, having a reciprocating love to the good shepherd and, and letting that be manifested on out by our loving and godly uh, shepherding to those around us in whatever way, whatever capacity that God's given us. So a few questions here in closing. What are we in the flock? Are we a thief or a robber? You know, I, I really think this, these three categories are the only categories in the church or in the flock. Are we a thief or a robber? Are we a hireling? Or are we a humble servant of Christ under shepherd? I think we're one of those three. And hopefully, um, if we feel like we're hireling, we are moving into the capacity of being an under-shepherd. And hopefully, if we're a thief or a robber, we're being convicted, and God will bring us into that point of being a servant. A few other questions, sub-questions. Are we encouragers or are we discouragers? Those go along with the previous questions and help us define where we fit in in these three groups of a thief or robber, a hireling, or a humble servant of Christ, under shepherd. Are we encouragers? Or are we discouragers? Do we contribute to the body or are we takers? Are we there for the benefits? Or are we there to, to be involved, to give of ourselves? <clears throat> Do those in the flock we have an opportunity to minister to find themselves enabled by us? Or do they feel themselves beat into the bushes by us? Do the healing powers of the good shepherd of Christ manifest in the flock? Do they thrill us? Are we cynical about that? Let's be diligent in, in being good under shepherds of wherever we're at. Uh, first of all, I should say let's be diligent in following the good shepherd and then let's let that come out in being good. And I'm not going to say under shepherds. I'm going to say good underlings of Christ. Good underlings of Christ. God bless you all this morning. Let's have another song. You've been listening to The Good Shepherd versus The Hireling, a message by Gerald Schrock. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. You can find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.